Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Well, amen. As we continue to worship together today, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God. Let's open the Word of God and let's find in the Word of God Matthew chapter 7. We've been walking through this summer the Sermon on the Mount. We now come to kind of the, the final peak here as we transition uh, from Matthew 6. And we're going to look at the tail end of this greatest sermon preached by the obviously greatest preacher of all time, of all eternity. And so here we are coming to chapter 7. And this is a, a very familiar, at least phrase for us, a very common a cultural phrase for us, especially as a kid who grew up in the late 20th century. Uh, I understand that this was a big thing in the 90s was, hey, only God can judge me. And that was a huge part of the culture, a huge part of entertainment, and a huge part of even my entertainment, the people that I saw on screen getting it even tattooed across their chest, right? So we see this phrase right here, judge not or do not judge. And that's an easy thing for us to claim because it's easy for us to say, hey, Who are you to talk to me? Who are you to call me out? Who are you to try to get inside of my life? Will you just stay out of my business? But as Christians, we are called not to be judgmental, but we are called to judge. We are called to judge and judge according to the word of God. But again, not casting or calling down condemnation upon someone else. But here's the problem. We like that part, but we don't like the internal part. It sure is easy to evaluate others, right? It's easy to be a fault finder. It's easy to look around like, I can see that wrong, and I can see this wrong, and I can see those things wrong with that person. And it sure is easy to examine others and to evaluate others, but the Word of God is going to have us examine and evaluate ourselves. Because before we ever start looking around at everybody else, the Word of God says, look at yourself. Is your heart right with God? Have you repented of your sin and let go and turned away from the things that would hold you back from his righteousness? Are you walking in spirit and in truth? Or are you just walking in hypocrisy? See, that's what these religious leaders were doing is they're walking around full of sin but trying to condemn others. And Christ is going to correct us and correct our hearts because more than evaluating others, we need to examine ourselves. And so if you will with me, let's stand for the reading of God's word today. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The Word of God reads to us, Judge not, or do not judge, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we're going to use all the same measuring stick here, the gospel. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. You may have a seat. May his eternal truth be written on our hearts. And let me invite you to take the backside of the worship God. We're going to plug in some things as we walk together through the word verse by verse together today. We can see very clearly there's a call for us as followers of Christ to do a couple of different things here. And here's the first thing I see in the Word of God for us. Number one is this. We are called as believers in Christ, expanding, extending the kingdom of God to avoid being judgmental. Now we're going to split a hair here today because we're going to avoid being judgmental. He tells us, judge not, verse 1, let's go back to the text. 
Judge not, do not judge, that you be not judged. Now, what exactly does Jesus mean by judging here? I mean, he can't mean that you never tell someone they're wrong. He can't mean you never confront someone in sin and try to correct that. He can't mean any of those things because he did a whole lot of that himself. I mean, that's his ministry. You have to think about the religious leaders. Think about the interactions he had with the scribes and the Pharisees. He had several titles for them. He would call them fools. He called them blind guides. He called these, these men whitewashed tombs projecting life but full of dead man's bones. He called them snakes, a bunch of brood of vipers. And ultimately, the kind of the favorite phrase he would call them, he called them hypocrites because they would kind of impose the law of God upon others while ignoring the law of God in their own hearts. In fact, Jesus, he said this in John chapter 7, verse 7, he says he was hated by the world because he testified to the works of the world and testified that the works were evil. So if he, Christ himself, if he was a man who called out sin, this doesn't sound like someone who wasn't willing to call sin, sin, right? He didn't dance around it. He didn't justify it. He didn't say, hey, that's fine. Let's just slide that over. He called sin, sin. And so if do not judge doesn't mean that you don't correct people when they're wrong, then what does it mean for us, therefore, to be judgmental? How are we splitting that here? Well, Jesus has in mind here, do not judge, judge not, that you be not judged. He says in verse 2, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Christ has in mind for us is someone who's judgmental, someone who judges others. They're quick to be harsh, they're quick to be unfair, they're quick to be severe, and they're quick to be destructive. That is what a judgmental spirit looks like. We're harsh with people. We, we want to tear them down. We're, we're unfair because, hey, we're just going to call their stuff out, ignoring our own. It's severe. We want to make sure, hey, we're going to make sure you pay the price for your sin, and it's destructive. It's never to build them up. It's never to correct them into righteousness. It's always to tear them down into shame and to guilt. And so a person who is quick to criticize faults in others— and their criticism is not intended to build up, but to tear down, that person is guilty of being judgmental. Because I'm not here to build you up in Christ. I'm just here to tear you down and to drive you deeper into guilt and deeper into shame. We all tend to do this. We make snap judgments upon people, make a whole lot of assumptions about others when we just see their appearance, and we start assuming all these things about their lives all these things about their character, all these things about the heart before the Lord. And the problem with that, without us having that ability to see the heart, is we can't afford to be judgmental because we're not the standard setter. I don't set any standard for anybody in this room. Christ sets a standard. The Word of God sets a standard. And so may I not be guilty of judging you because it will be not measured to me. It says in verse 2 again, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, the problem with wrong judgment, the problem with being judgmental towards others, it reflects ignorance of our own sinfulness. We re, re, kind of relate to this because we are very often willing to turn a blind eye to ourselves, right? Go to verse 3. Verse 3, he talks about this. He says, hey, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Man, that's easy. It sure is easy to see all the specks of sin sawdust in other people, right? 
It sure is easy to notice all their stuff. And it sure is a desire for us to want to call that out and to make sure that we publicly criticize, publicly humiliate, because what does it do for us? It justifies us. I feel a whole lot better when I try to call out the sin in my, life, my wife that does not exist when I'm trying to justify myself, right? She's perfect, and she's going to amen that right there. And I try to point out stuff all the time, all the while ignoring my own stuff. And so here we have this picture. Jesus paints a picture for us. Why do you see the speck and not notice the log in your own eye? It's kind of a, a hyperbole, if you will, kind of an extreme picture because we can imagine this. Think about a man walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of his eye. All right, just a big old two-by-four. He's walking around, and he's like, hey, I see some sin sawdust in your eye. And you're like, well, what about you? Right? This is the picture he paints for us. It's, it's, it's insane. And so we walk around people with all kinds of two-by-fours in our eye, always looking for the speck of sin and sin in their eye, always looking for the shame in their eye, always looking for what's wrong in their eye. And all of a sudden, we see that's the spirit of being judgmental because we care more about their sin than we care about their soul. I care more about calling you out for your sin than I care about your soul being right with God. That's the spirit of being judgmental. And so what's he getting at right here? What's he teaching us? Well, we see a couple things that our measurement is not the authority. I'm, I'm not the measure. I'm not the standard. My measurement's not the authority. If I demand perfection, I better deliver perfection, right? If I'm expecting it, I better deliver it. And so if I'm demanding that you be perfect, then I better deliver perfection. Otherwise, it says here, you hypocrites. You hypocrite, you miss it. And then our mirror, not only our measurement is not the authority, our mirror should be our accountability. Our mirror should be the accountability that we have in our own life. He's calling us to, to fail to repent of our sin. That, that's, that's the log. Is that If you're walking around with a big old log in your eye and you're always looking for faults, you're always looking for problems in others, if you're always trying to find sins so that you can justify, maybe feel better about yourself and put yourself on level playing field with everyone else, if that's the way you're doing it, then you're, you're failing to repent because there's a big old log in your eye. And here's what we all need to understand today in this text. Every single one of us, when we come to, well, who am I in this picture? Here's what we all should think. I'm the one with the log. That's, what, that's the position we should all take when it comes to that interaction, when it comes to that moment where we're trying to cast judgment, we're trying to figure out how to go through biblical conflict. I need to make the assumption I'm the one with the log. Not my brother and sister in Christ, not my wife, not my children. I am the one with the log in the eye, and I need to repent of my sin. And so here we see, do not judge and do not be judgmental, but we also see a way for us to understand that there is a way for us to be accountable. So how can we judge without being judgmental? Let me do three quick points of application for us. Ways we can judge without being judgmental. We can do it in a biblical way. We encourage correction without exercising condemnation. All right, we encourage correction without exercising condemnation. So Jesus is not saying we ignore faults. He's not saying we ignore sin. He's not saying that we just go on with life and never ever have gospel conversations with people and say, hey, there is a savior for your sin or your sin is causing destruction or hey, I see that you're spiraling into sin and I want to rescue you, as Galatians says, from going further and deeper into the whole of sin. I want to love you back into Christ. And so he's not saying you don't call out sin. He's just saying you don't call out condemnation. So we can correct without condemning. In fact, if we take the log out of our own eye, we can better see, it says in the Word of God, the specks in other people's eyes. So we're not called and we're not forbidden from correcting. We are forbidden, though, from condemning. 
What's the difference? Well, con- con- condemnation is just to write them off. Condemnation is to say, you're guilty without any hope. Condemnation is just to declare them guilty and say, hey, there's no way that this can ever be corrected, this can ever be fixed, this can ever be made right. And we cannot condemn because, understand, Jesus, he did a whole lot of correcting, didn't he? He corrected a whole lot of people. He confronted a whole lot of people in their sin. In fact, in John chapter 8, when he corrected the woman who's caught in the sin of adultery in the very act, he would tell her, hey, go, leave your life of sin and go sin no more. He would correct her and call her out for her sin. But here's what the Son of Man, here's what the Son of God, here's what Jesus never did. He never came to condemn. Well, how do we know that? Well, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his Son. Here's not the purpose of Jesus. not coming into the world to condemn the world. Just to say shame and guilt upon you. You're guilty without any hope of salvation. No, he didn't come to condemn. He came, why? In order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to say, hey, guilt, yes. Shame, yes. All right, all kinds of sin, yes. But I'm going to take that from you. All right, I want to take that from you. You are guilty, but I'm going to die in your place. You are sinful, but I'm going to carry that to the cross. Hey, you have shame, but I'm, you know what? I'm going to remove that and give you my righteousness. This is why he came. He came so that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why he came. And so we encourage correction, but we do it to reconcile people to Christ and not to condemn them. Amen? And so we can encourage correction without exercising condemnation. And here's the second thing. We have to be careful to not be hypocritical by being hypercritical. Be careful to not be hypocritical by being hypercritical. He says this in verse 5. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's what I know to be true. You will always find what you're looking for. You ever notice sometimes you begin to search for something, like maybe you're searching for this car or that car, you're looking for some other pair of shoes, you're looking for something, back to school backpack, if you're looking for something, all of a sudden you start noticing more things than ever before, right? You're like, well, fine, this popped up, and, and now Siri heard me, and now it's on my Facebook feed, right? We see all kinds of things all the time when we're looking for them, and you're always going to find what you're looking for. And so here's the concept in this text here, if you're coming and you're looking for sin, If you're coming and you're looking to complain, you're looking to critique, you're looking to criticize, I promise you're going to find ample reasons, right? That preacher doesn't have enough arms, right? There's one to start with. We can always find enough things to complain about, criticize, and critique because we tend to have a spirit if that's what we're looking for. And and so I want to challenge you today. Seeking out specks of sawdust is not a spiritual gift, all right, seeking out specks of sawdust and sin sawdust is not a spiritual gift. You can justify yourself all you want and feel self-righteous. But Romans 12 and Romans 2 rather would line us up. Romans 2, 1 through 3 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Same thing right here. You hypocrite. How dare you try to call out sin and others when you're not repenting of sin in your own life. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? See, we can't set ourselves up to be God and we can't set ourselves up to to be this judge upon a seat because that is reserved for the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
we are called again to correct. We're called to encourage. And we're always called to correct, to build someone up towards Jesus and not tear them down into guilt and shame. Right? That's not our calling here. And so we have to be careful to not be hypocritical by being hypercritical to complain about all things and, and to always look for something that's wrong and to always find the things that we just don't like. I suppose this, my view from the sky and a buzzard's view from the sky are very different perspectives. When I go up and fly an airplane, I'm in awe of the majesty of the world. I'm in awe of the creation of God. I see mountains I can see valleys, and I can see uh, water, and I, I can see land, and at nighttime you can see the lights of a city. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to get up in the sky and to see things from kind of 30,000 feet. It's powerful. You can see all things that you can never see before. That's what I see. I see those things, and I'm amazed by the creation and the handiwork of God. But a buzzard gets up in the sky, and what does he see? He sees a deer carcass with maggots, right? Because that's what he's looking for. He's not looking to observe God's creation. He's not looking to just, man, look at all this wonderful things. He's looking, where's the dead animal? All right, where's your vehicle getting a squirrel? All right, where's the deer? I'm looking for the thing that takes me and brings me all kinds of death to give me life. What are you looking for? When you look at a brother and sister in Christ, are you looking for God's best in them? Are you looking to somehow, how can I tear this person down? When you come to God's church and see his bride, the church that he died for, the church that he sold his life for to, to, to build us up and to purchase us with his very blood. Do you see a body of Christ full of just all the things you can complain about? Or do you see the beauty of God bringing people together who would never be brought together otherwise in the gospel? See, we need to see God's best. We need to look for God's best. And we need to encourage God's best. I want to see you in right relationship with Christ. I'm not going to call you out to tear you down. I'm going to call you up so you can live in righteousness with Jesus. And so we understand here, we need to avoid, as people of God, being judgmental without pointing people to Jesus. Number two, we also must do this. We also must apply good judgment. So I avoid being judgmental, but then I apply good judgment. We're going to get in kind of an obscure verse right here in verse 6. Jesus says something about dogs and pigs. So what is, he, what is he talking about here? He goes on and says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Lest they trample them underfoot, return to attack you. All right, what in the world does he mean? Why, why are we talking about logs and dogs and pearls and pigs? What, what are we talking about in this text? Where is he going? I think Jesus is giving us instruction how to respond to people who won't receive the truth. How to respond to people who won't receive the gospel. How to respond to people who will not receive biblical instruction and biblical correction. How do we interact with people who are opposed to the word of God? How do we interact with people who are opposed to the things of God? How do we interact with people who want nothing to do with Jesus? And he lines us up. He tells us how to do these things and how to understand these things. And first of all, we need to understand that people who are blind, people who do not yet hear, people whose hearts are still hard, we have to understand this. They don't understand the concept of value. Pigs and dogs, they don't understand value. Think about what pigs eat. Are they eating a, a, a full course menu or are they just eating the scraps and the junk that no one else wants, right? They don't understand the concept of value. Even in our own lives, we understand with our children, they don't understand the concept of value. And my own dog does not understand the concept of value. I have a dog and on the back porch when I cook out, man, that dog is fixed and focused on that grill, 
right? She can't wait for whatever fat I cut off and give to her. She can't wait for whatever may fall off the grill. She can't wait for whatever may be just something I throw her away. And she is dying with anticipation for something to be given to her. And so every now and then when I'm grilling out, I'll give her a piece of hamburger. I'll give her a little piece of steak that I'm not going to eat. I'll give her something good just to give to her. And she loves it. She'll eat it right up and she'll wait there and just have it and enjoy it and, and just be excited about me giving her something. But if I were to lay down for her a $100 bill, if I were to lay down for her a, a pearl necklace, as in the text, if I were to lay down for her a diamond necklace, here's what she's going to do. She's going to sniff it and she's going to walk away. She has no understanding of value. She has no concept of really what matters more because, man, that $100 bill is way better than that steak. All right? that, that diamond necklace is way better than a piece of hamburger meat. And so this is the concept of value that we see here is that that's the meaning of the text. It says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, turn to attack you. Here's what this all means together. The world will not always recognize the value of the kingdom of God. The world will not always understand the, the value of Jesus Christ. They will not understand the price he paid. They will not always understand the riches of the glory for us who find eternal life in him. They will not understand that seek first the kingdom of God is like finding a pearl of great treasure and worth selling your whole entire life for. They will not, not always understand and not always receive the truth. They will not always understand the value and the meaning of the gospel. And so we understand that when we understand that, that they can't understand that, then it helps us to know how to continue to share with them the hope of Jesus. You have to understand, without the help of the Holy Spirit, we can, none of us can grasp the value. All right, without the help of the Holy Spirit, I don't have eyes to see. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, I don't have ears to hear. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, I have a heart that is not ready to receive. And so God has to do those things to me. And so our job, of course, the Great Commission, is to go, and God's job is to wake up. Right? I'm called to go. All right, Paulus watered, I planted, but God provided the growth. I'm called to share, but God's job is to change. And so here's a couple applications for us as we think about taking this treasure to the ends of the earth. Don't focus on people who will reject truth, but focus on people who will receive truth. All right, don't focus all your effort and energy and time on people who will reject truth, but focus on people who will receive truth. Again, he says, don't give dogs. Don't give them. If they don't understand what is holy, hey, don't keep giving it to them. And if they don't understand, the pigs don't understand the pearls, and don't, don't throw that before them either. They're going to trample it, and they're going to, in fact, turn and attack you. Because I know this, not everyone who I tell about Jesus is ready to receive Jesus. And that's not my job is to change. I don't, I'm not called to be anyone's Savior. I am responsible, and I am commissioned to share the gospel. Right? That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Every single person in this room that's been saved and redeemed by Jesus, you're called to go and you're called to share. We are called to make disciples. But I'm not always going to have that opportunity every single time I share the gospel. Some people want nothing to do with Jesus. Some people will outright reject the truth. No, I don't believe that at all. Some people will, will even respond with, it says, with hatred and then turn to attack you. They might be aggressive and say, how dare you try to tell me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Not everyone's going to be receptive to being exposed as someone who needs Jesus. And when that happens, here's what he says, move the message on to someone else. Keep going. Don't give up. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a reward if you do not give up. So don't give up, but you just keep going. I'm tr hey, God, I'm turning that person over to you. They're in your hands. I've done my part. I've shared. 
I've prayed, I've invited, God, I've done everything I can, but I'm going to move the message on because there's more people for me to reach. There's more gospel opportunities I need to have. And so we try and we do whatever we can, but then we continue to move the message on. So we don't spend all of our time with people who will reject truth, it says, but who will receive truth. And here's the second thing as we apply this to our lives. You can change your message. You can change your method. You can never change the message. All right, you can change your method, but you can never change the message. Because at the end of the day, what? We, we want them to receive it, right? That's what I want. I want the dogs to receive what is holy. I want the pigs to receive the pearls. I want them to grasp the kingdom. The only thing is, I can't change the goalpost to make them have it. I can't conform the message to fit their lifestyle. I can't justify their sin and say, well, it's okay. God still loves you anyways. You can follow him and still live in sinfulness. I can't do those things. And so I cannot change the message, but I can change the method. Why? Because people, they are not obstacles. People are opportunities, right? You have every opportunity to reach the neighbor, every opportunity to reach that coworker, and even harder, every opportunity to reach that family member. And all you have to do sometimes is change your method to share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. We see this in the book of Acts. Paul, Paul is here before Festus. He's a governor in Rome. He's here before King Agrippa in Rome. He's here before the Roman court, the Roman officials. And here he is. And he's in chains. He's been in prison for sharing the gospel. He was a man just a few chapters before who hated Christ, hated his church. It says he breathed hatred on his mouth, on his lips for the demise of the church of Jesus Christ. He was persecuting, arresting, killing Christians. This was his lifestyle. All of a sudden, he got confronted in his own sin by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, had a transformation, and now a new life, a new purpose. And what does he do? He stands before these Romans, these high people, and he says, King Agrippa, Share the gospel. Do you believe in the prophets? Do you believe in the word of God? Do you believe in the hope of Jesus? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, in just this one speech, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Are you trying to, you trying to convert me? Are you trying to get me to follow Jesus? And Paul said, hey, whatever it takes, whether short or long, I would to God, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am in Christ, free, in Jesus, except for the physical chains that he wore on his wrists. Paul stands before these people and says, hey, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to persuade you. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to move the message on, and Paul will move the message on, but he's going to stop right here and find the opportunity he has to persuade people to come to Christ. What about you? Do we take every opportunity to persuade people, to try to convince people, man, there's such good news, it says in Corinthians, that we have this message. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's all we are. We're just the container. But the Holy Spirit and the good news of Christ is available to all who would hear. And we just have to share it. That I would call you in this room. Hey, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm trying to persuade you to come to Jesus right now. Every single one of you, if you don't have relationship with Christ, I am trying to persuade you that there is a Savior who loves you, who died for you, who takes away your sin, who takes away your shame, who takes away your guilt, and he can change you and fill you up so that you'll never be the same again. He, he will give you a drink of living water in John 4. He'll give you a taste of the living bread of life in John chapter 6, and he will give it to you in such a way that you'll never be thirsty or hungry again. He will fill you up so that you'll never need this world because this world isn't worth gaining and losing your soul. Would you come to Christ? 
Would you repent of your sin, call upon the name of Jesus, and so be saved? I would persuade you to do that today because I've tasted, I've seen, and I've experienced that there's nothing better than Jesus. Because ultimately, here's the takeaway. In Christ, your faults are not final. Your faults are forgiven. Your faults are not final. They're not the end of your story. Your faults are forgiven. Romans 8.1 makes it very clear that in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, there's no longer any more condemnation. You're declared free. You're guilty, but you've been let off the hook. Why? Because he took your sin from you. He didn't sweep it under the rug. No, he took it upon himself. He became your sin. He who knew no sin became your sin so that in him you might have the transfer of his righteousness, that you might receive eternal life and forgiveness of your sin. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.